0: Let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray from our souls and not just our lips. In Jesus' name, amen. Ever told someone, I know just enough to be dangerous? What is it that you knew just enough about that you were still willing to step forward even though you only knew enough to be dangerous? And were you trying to instill confidence or fear in the person you told How would you feel if just before takeoff, your pilot came back and said, I know just enough to be dangerous, or if your surgeon or your electrician or your governor said that? James gives a very good warning, one I wished I'd prayed over a little bit harder back before I went to seminary. James says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. James makes two points people in authority, and here we're specifically talking about pastors, teachers, and DCEs, they will be judged by God and the world by higher standards. And second, we all, and that includes pastors, teachers, and DCEs, are going to stumble because we're sinful. Because a pastor, teacher, or DCE knows they are not perfect, they must strive to be worthy of the office they've been called to but they must also trust in the love of God for themselves and those under their care for both forgiveness and grace. A couple weeks Nancy and I went to Costco. She went in to get food. I went and got gas for the truck, pulled into a parking space to wait for her. She came out. She jumped in. I started the truck up. I put it in drive. I hit the accelerator and nothing happened. I hit the accelerator again. Then I put it in park, and I put it in drive, and then I put it in reverse, and I put it in low, and I put it in everywhere, and when you hit the accelerator, the engine rev, but nothing happened. Yeah. A little $5 nylon bushing that connects the shift lever to the cable that goes to the transmission had broken. Not something you can fix in the dark at Costco. So, AAA towed me home. Kayla and Isaac came and rescued my wife and the groceries. Next day I decided, you know what, I know enough to be dangerous. I bet I can fix this. And after 45 minutes of not really even getting close to figuring out how to remove everything to get down to the shifter, I went to the backyard and talked to my neighbor over the fence, kind of like Wilson from Home Improvement. Joe came out and in five minutes, he'd removed all the pieces and goes, yep, there it is, told me what part to order. And then he went back to his barbecue. You see, Joe knew more than enough to be dangerous. He wasn't even dangerous. He just knew enough. Oh, did I tell you he used to work at Lex Brody's, and right now he maintains most of the trucks and stuff for Hawaiian Airlines. Yeah, you see, it all depends. When you know more than enough, then you're not dangerous at all. But ministry, ministry is different. No matter how many times I sit with a family who lost a loved one, or got bad news from a doctor, or had a child who ran away, or is thinking of getting divorced, or is going through some other trauma, I will never, ever know enough. It doesn't matter how many years, I'm a pastor. You see, every person, every relationship, every event is different because you are all unique and unreproducible, which means that there is no standard fix that can be applied to all of us. And that means as a pastor, and I've got to include teachers and DCEs here, We only know enough to be dangerous. Two Bible verses I rely on whenever I'm with somebody going through a traumatic event. Luke 12 is the first one. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. And whereas that's talking about a witness, I'm sometimes trusting. In fact, I'm always trusting that God will help me speak to those if I'm willing to be open to it. Second verse, Psalm 46. Be still and know that I'm God. Being with someone going through a trauma, and by the way, it doesn't matter what kind of trauma it is, is an opportunity for everyone to listen and watch for God because He's the only one who knows what needs to be said and what needs to be done. Instead of trying to fix it, which is our natural inclination, at least it's mine, We need to open up space to process, grieve, express anger, ask questions, and sometimes, sometimes just hurt alongside them. And if you were wondering, this is the hardest thing in the world because we are uncomfortable when someone is grieving and hurting. We just want to put a band-aid on it so we don't have to look at it anymore. But you know what? A band-aid isn't actually going to heal. I know that's how we heal heal, owie boo-boos. But a band-aid can't heal that which is going on in the soul and the heart. Suffering is something the Apostle Paul understood more than most, like King David. Like King David, Paul occasionally gives us a glimpse into this raw emotions in his letters. It also makes me wonder how many times did he cry out and didn't write it down? How often did King David go through something and he just he cried out, but it's nothing that we have recorded. I also wonder if Nathan, Timothy, or Luke, all who were companions, Nathan of King David and Luke and Timothy of Paul, I always wondered if they said, hey, you know what? Here's five steps to spiritual healing. Because to be honest, I'm tired of hearing you complain. So here's five steps. So get over it so that we can get on with whatever we're doing. You know, the government and the government-approved religious leaders tried to silence St. Paul. They beat him, they stoned him, they imprisoned him. Now, with that in mind, listen to his words from Romans chapter 5. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Paul doesn't offer five simple ways to get over our grief, our anger, or our hurt. He offers a way to use our suffering to become more compassionate people. He does not explain it or excuse it. He just names it, and then he lets it sit there, raw and painful, until we process processed enough that we're willing and ready to work with it. Our human experience is not easy. We suffer, and then we wake up the very next day, and uh, we're a little worse for wear, but we're still in the world to try to kill us the day before. One of the questions almost everyone who is suffering asks is why? And if we're not careful, in the darkness it is so easy for that question to devolve into, you know what, none of this really matters. In fact, nothing matters. But James and Jesus tell us this kind of darkness is emotional, physical, and spiritual. Which is why Saints Peter and Paul and James don't offer a five-point strategy to heal us. But instead, they walk us into the presence of God. I'm not sure which side started the fight. To be honest, it doesn't really matter. When you argue with an idiot, it just makes you as much of an idiot. That's what it says in Proverbs 26. Science, by the way, not the enemy of God. But both sides, the church and the world, have dug in and won't allow for the other side to exist. That really is too bad, because there is much to learn from each other. Our gospel lesson is about Jesus casting out demons. Now, as much as I wish that I could go out and just say, Demon, come out of that person, and cure those that are going through mental health challenges, yeah, I haven't been able to do that yet. And so I am thankful that there are counselors and psychiatrists to help. Even though James tells us to anoint the sick with oil and pray over him, Not everyone who is sick is going to get healed by just praying over them. And so medical doctors have a place in our community. At creation, God made us, those who are followers of him, he made us the stewards of the earth, something that we have not done a very good job at. But we still have a place in the discussions about the environment and what needs to be done. And the Bible has some amazing things to share about finances, which could really help a lot of families right now. But I've never heard a financial advisor say, you know, you should talk to your pastor. We tend to live in a duality of life, dividing things up, putting them in separate boxes, and making sure those boxes never touch. I've had people tell me, you know, leave your Jesus out of our discussions about the real world. And then they point out it's a constitutional mandate of separation of church and state. And that's when I have to politely, and I do mean politely, correct them. You see that whole church and state thing? not in the Constitution. It's in a letter to the Danbury Baptist Association by Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, that's where it's at. Now, the First Amendment to the Constitution, on the other hand, says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's usually just the opposite of what most people think it says. Uh, There are some Supreme Court cases that have set some precedents but nothing in the Constitution or the amendments about us not having freedom to talk about Jesus. The same people, by the way, would get very upset if I told them to leave their Billy Eilish, Los Angeles Raiders, Eastern philosophies and conspiracy theories out of our discussions of the real world. Yeah, they would quickly scream, hey, freedom of speech, I can say anything I want. Yeah, freedom of speech in their mind means anything and everything except faith, duality. We've separated things, we don't let them touch, and we're poor for it. And yet a darkness that pervades news stories is so dark that no one can even begin to wrap their their minds or their arms around it. And evil is so clear that even those who don't believe in God can recognize it. When I'm going through a trauma and I ask myself why, I've learned to force myself to wait, to wait until my emotions settle down and my head is clear. See, the reason I want to know why is so that I can blame somebody, so I can point my finger at somebody, so I can yell. See, it's not gonna fix anything, it's not gonna make anything better, but I will have someone to blame and hate for whatever happened. But you know, James says that's not the way of the believer. In Revelation 12, 7, St. John finishes a story the Old Testament book of Job began. He said, the devil and his demons declare war on God. Now, it's not the universe that they're after, it's the souls of us, all humanity. Michael the archangel gathers his angels and the battle begins. And here's what it says. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought and he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Now, just so we're clear, this is not the battle at the end of time. This is the battle that takes place at the beginning, just after the beginning of time. See, we're living in between those two battles. God has already been there and done that. He got the t-shirt. In fact, he's already worn the t-shirt out. But you and me, we're still living by the clock and the calendar, thus waiting. However, the story is told so that we will know how our story ends. In other words, even though we haven't lived it yet, it's already there and Jesus wins. God wins, even though we have to wait for that to happen in our lives. It's already real in God's. Now this cosmic tale from Job and Revelation tell us evil was already conquered just after the beginning of time. Everything Satan and his demons have done since are acts of desperation because that they know their time is short. Compared to eternity and us, they've only got this much time. We, well, I can't even, my arms don't go that far. But here's the part that's important for us. Even though this event took place just after the beginning of time, Listen how the story unfolds, how it says Michael and his angels defeated the deceiver. And remember, this is at the beginning of time. Verse 11 says, they, Michael and his angels, have defeated him, the devil, and his demons by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. It's that old Sunday school joke where the answer is always Jesus. How does Michael and the angels throw down the deceiver? answer Jesus how do we throw down the deceiver answer Jesus always Jesus in non-covid times the pastor would finish the words of institution before communion and that's when we would sing lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world have mercy on us lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world grant us your peace All this sounds like a prayer petition, hoping with fingers crossed that Jesus is in a good mood, not only will forgive us, but grant us that amazing, eternal, everlasting peace. we got to remember, 20 minutes earlier, unless the preacher went on and on and on, we sang, this is the feast of victory for our God. Hallelujah! It's a declaratory, because by faith we have already received the promise of God as a gift. We're just waiting for that moment when we get to unwrap it. Even though Jesus' death on the cross hasn't happened on our calendars yet, Michael and his angels were able to overcome the deceiver by the blood of the Lamb because God lives outside time and space. He's already been to the beginning and the end and everywhere in between because it's all happening both at the same time and forever for Him. But most of us, most of us, we still have to stop and let the clock tick. Now, most of us also, we get our meat at the grocery store instead of the backyard these days. We no longer have to have blood on our hands or our clothes in order to have hamburgers and fried chicken. And yet the sacrifice is still real and necessary. Just because we don't see it or it doesn't happen by our hands anymore doesn't make it less real. Sacrifice makes our life and our community possible. In an upcoming gospel lesson, the 70 disciples return to Jesus with great joy. When he asks them why they're excited, they respond, because even the demons submit to us. The disciples are on a power trip. They can call out demons. They can heal people, forgive sins. It is so cool to have all that power at your fingertips. Now, instead of giving fist bumps and going around saying, you guys are amazing, Jesus says something very, very different. I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. I gave you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. And by the way, the Greek verb tense for your names are written means past, present, and future, meaning Satan doesn't have a big enough eraser or a powerful enough or a big enough delete button in order to mess with it. What Jesus has written remains written. And when he writes your name in the book of life in heaven, it stays in that book. I know being told the final battle has already been won, that Jesus doesn't need our help defeating Satan. That's not very fun. Because even though we might love to say we're saved by grace through faith, the truth is we want to prove how spiritual and godly we are by challenging Satan to a fight. We know enough to be dangerous, so we want to grab our armor and sword and just go out and get him. Two things. The first is a verse from the Old Testament where Daniel of Lion's Den fame had been praying for some help. In Daniel 10, an angel finally shows up, and it's taken a while, and he says, Sorry, I would have been here sooner, but I've been holding off a demon for 21 days. Finally, the archangel Michael showed up and relieved me. Now, if angels can't just snap their fingers and make demons go away we might want to think twice about challenging one to a battle the second second comes for our psalm where king david writes the lord guards the inexperienced i was helpless and he saved me return to your rest my soul for the lord has been good to you for you lord rescued me from death my eyes from tears my feet from stumbling i will walk before the lord in the land of the living now if david who God calls a man after his own heart, says that he was inexperienced, helpless, and stumbling, and that close to death, we might want to think thrice. From an earthly perspective, evil can seem so dark and unending. But evil rages not because it is powerful, but because, as St. John said, its time is short. It can give it everything it has because it has an expiration date, so there's no reason to hold anything back from it. Thanks to Jesus, you and me, we don't have an expiration date. And that changes the way we live and the way that we get to see things. As Ms. Kayla reminded us a few weeks ago, we are to put on the full armor of God. But I want to point something out. If you were listening very carefully, Paul said, When you do, it is not about being a soldier. It is about being able to withstand the assault of evil and darkness and sin. So that in the end, you're still standing. Truth is, you and me, we know just enough to be dangerous. And our salvation is not something that we want to mess up. Jesus has already won the battle, and he knows more than enough. And he isn't dangerous to us, but he is dangerous to Satan and his demons. All we got to do is not get in his way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.